All right. Um, we were going to have, last week was, was youth camp, and so we're going to have a couple people come up and share about that, but um, they're sick, and so we are going to put that off for a week, which is good because I, I have 11 pages of notes on my sermon, so it's good that we're getting started. <laughs> so um, I hope, I don't think it'll take too long. I'm a fast talker, so we'll be good. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The title of my sermon is, I Find My Lack of Faith Disturbing, and that's the problem. And uh, just to get started, in honor of Sean, I have a terrible, terrible joke. So, you know, he's not here, but I've got I to carry on the tradition. So, what is a clownfish's favorite Bible verse? Matthew 5.44, but I tell you to love your enemies. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. That's worse than Sean, yes. I did it. Good. All right. Well, I've 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 honored his uh, his the things he started. All right. Um, now that we have that out of the way, let's pray and let's dig in. Lord, we thank you for a chance to gather together and spend time in your presence to fellowship. Lord, we thank you for the worship this morning. It was just it was just sweet to remember your love for us and how we can just surrender to you, Lord. You're just you're just waiting to take all all the things on our hearts, on our minds, off our plate, and and carry those burdens for us. And you just want to. Show us how much you love us, Lord. I pray that you would um, open our hearts to your word this morning, Lord. I pray you would help me to speak your words and not mine, Lord. Um, that, that you, it would be your word that would go forth. And uh, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for loving us so much. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Have you guys been enjoying the Olympics? Anybody been watching the Olympics? Okay, what's your, what's your favorite things to watch? Figure skating. Figure skating. I saw figure skating, and somebody else went, Neh. yeah. Yeah, that's a that's about yeah, such a girl. Yeah, any anybody else have a favorite? So just figure skating, okay? Why do you think we love watching the Olympics? And people just get into it, right? I think some of us watch it because we're big fans of the USA. We want to cheer for America, you know, woo! And then and then some people watch it because they want to be able to chat at work on on Monday about what happened. You know, did you see this thing that happened or this guy who won that or that crazy? Whirling flip that they do on the on the half pipe and the on a snowboard. Those guys are insane. It's just amazing what some of these people can do. I think it's uh I think it's riveting, but I think it's also riveting because of the the, the human element, kind of the human story of these people and you're watching them perform, and there's thousands of them, and their entire lives have been focused on this moment, right? Or for sure the last three or four years, they've been spending every waking moment, whatever they eat, all the sleep they get, every moment, every thought is around this five-minute or ten-minute exhibition that only happens every four years. It may be the only time these people ever get to do this in the Olympics. Like, it's this culmination, and we, we see these moments when people just nail it, right? They just, nothing goes wrong, and they do it perfect, and they get gold medal, and just like the perfect performance, you know? And, and then other people, they slip. You know, the speed skaters were the one that strike me. When you watch those speed skaters, like especially those short tra- track ones, somebody goes down, and they're done. There's no, you don't get back up. You don't jump back in the race. The race is already over. You've lost, you know, and sometimes they take somebody else out and you look at that and you watch this moment and you think, this person slipped and four, eight, 10, 20, 30 years of their life is in that slip, right? They just, this is amazing. So I think it's just, it's riveting to watch. And and I think think it resonates with us because of all the work, all the effort, all the self-sacrifice. It really speaks to our heart. And I think it's the same reason we love things like football and, and action movies is it's just like this this struggle we love seeing the struggle and these people performing at the peak of what humans can do um 
I love war movies. I recently watched a series about World War II, and it was it just it just resonates with you. You know, these men fighting for each other and fighting for freedom, and just kind of you get to the end of the movie and you're moved. You're like, man, I just I'm fired up by this stuff, or or it, it moves me in a powerful way. And I think what they touch in us is um, is something built into the human nature, and um, especially the human psyche, which is just we love stories about determination, hard work, about about overcoming obstacles. We love the um, we love the underdog, right? As Americans, we're just like, man, the underdog won, woo! Took down the Patriots, woo! You know, that's like that's huge for us. We love that stuff, um, and 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 it's a great part of who we are. It helps us. It, it helps us work hard and gets us through adversity. You know, it's like it's how I feed my family is hard work. You know, it's it's things we want to teach our kids about hard work and, and the value of that and not giving up and persevering. Um, it's also one of the biggest challenges with being a believer. Because we have this we have this mindset of digging deeper and trying harder and and never giving up, like ingrained into our very DNA, into our very mindset, into our ethos, into how we think about everything. And um, the glory of overcoming and, and, and the glory of the struggle. And we and we take that part of who we are and we, we then apply it to our, our relationship with God. We're like, okay God, I know you got this high standard, I'm gonna go for it. I, I am gonna I'm going to give you my best. You know, if those guys can train for 30 years for an Olympic gold medal, why can't I give you my best? You know, and, and we, we just start digging deep. And, and when we do that, we don't realize it, but it starts, it starts coloring, coloring our relationship with the Lord in a way that's, that's counterproductive to what he wants to accomplish in our lives. Um, and I think the biggest issue of it, for me, and we have a lot of me coming out today, but there's, there's a, there's, the biggest issue for me is the focus becomes me. Like, Lord, I want to do something for you. I want to be holy. I want to honor you. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to serve you. And, 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 and the focus becomes me. Lord, I failed you. Lord, I should try harder. I want to do better. And, it, and it's, just, it's just built into us. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Or it's just, that's just, a, just, just where we go. It's our default setting. Oh, Lord, I'm going to try harder again. I'm, I've, 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 I've repented. I'm going to get back up and try harder again. And, and, and I, want to, I want to share some examples with you. Um, and you guys may start wondering about me after I share this example, but um, you, most of you already wonder a little bit about me, so that's okay. Um, <laughs> just a little bit. So I have a, couple, um, I have a couple favorite Bible translations. Perhaps you've heard of them. Um, anybody here like the NLT, the New Living Translation? I really enjoy that translation. I read it a lot. But I also have another form of the NLT. It's called the Nathan's Legalistic Translation. <laughs> and... Uh, it's the Bible that I often read that interprets every verse in a way that shows me where I'm coming up just a little bit short and need to try harder. The Dig Deeper Bible is what I call it. You know, let's, let's, let's try harder. I have another favorite translation, the NASB, which is not the New American Standard Bible. It's the Nathaniel Allen Subscript Bible. You know what a subscript is, right? It's a little number or Roman numeral at the side of the verse that, that, that then corresponds to a note on the side or the bottom of the page that says, here's what that Greek word means or... Here's a cross-reference. And so you go look up that cross-reference. Well, my subscript Bible happens in my head. I read a verse and I say, yeah, but this is what this really means. You know, this is what I see here. Um, the verse says this, but it really means this. And often that interpretation is because I just have trouble taking the Bible for face value. You know, that, that song we've been singing lately, the, the song Reckless Love, the chorus of that song is just powerful. He talks about the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. The love and grace of God is ridiculous. It's illogical. 
It's overwhelming. It's reckless. It doesn't make any sense. And it's way too good to be true. And, and, and I just wrestle with it. And I love that verse, that, that, that song, because it kind of really talks about that. But um, I have trouble with, with, the, with grace because it's too good to be true. Um, it's amazing. Um, do you guys know Pastor Sean's Spurgeon quotes? He hasn't been doing them as much, but he used to sing little jingle Spurgeon quotes. Spurgeon quotes. Well, I'm going to have my own. I have a couple quotes myself from another theologian. He's, he's a famous theologian, a towering animated intellectual giant of theology, Homer J. Simpson. And uh, in one episode, his neighbor, um, Flanders, reads him the entire Bible. And, and, and they get to the last page, and he finishes. And Homer says, whoa, whoa, God does so much for me, and he doesn't ask for anything in return. And I love that quote, because it's meant to be satire. It's like, you know, they're making fun of the Bible. But the truth is, that's truth. God does so much for us, and he doesn't ask anything in return, other than our surrender, our trusting him are letting him work in our lives. It's incredible. This morning we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In this section of scripture, Paul is defending his ministry against some detractors who are really trying to undermine his ministry. He's, the Corinthian church is one he's kind of gone back and forth with on a lot of stuff. And there's these guys attacking his ministry. Um, we're not really going to focus on that piece of it. but We're going to take a couple verses out of that and apply them to the way we interpret and apply scripture to our hearts in our lives, and our relationship with God. Um, so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. I'm going to read through verses 3 through 5, and then we'll go back through, and we're going to break it down. So verse 3 starts with, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. This is where our ingrained performanceism, our desire to try harder, rears its ugly head right there, right at the beginning. We are trained by um, our flesh, by human nature, and it's reinforced by our parents and by, by our economy and our culture and frankly cause and effect to work hard. We know it pays off. And so when, when we come to spiritual things, we go, I should work hard. But we do not war according to the flesh, this says. That's not a fleshly battle. We can't win. There's no resources there. So though we are skin and bones, Paul says, we're flesh and blood. We do not fight according to our flesh and blood. There's no resources there. There's, there's no resources when we're self-sourced. We need the resource of the Holy Spirit. God is the only one who can fight those battles for us. So we can't fight in the flesh. We have nothing. We break all those commandments all the time. You know, Pastor Sean's teaching through the Ten Commandments right now in Exodus, and he's going week after week, and, and, and it's, it's incredible because he comes and goes like, okay, you guys think you're good on the whole, uh, you know, not murdering or, you know, honoring your, your parents. Let me, let me break it down and, and talk about how, how Jesus explains those verses in, in the um, Sermon on the Mount. Let's talk about what it really means. Let's talk about, okay, yeah, you haven't murdered, but have you ever been angry or hated somebody or hallowed a grudge? Well, that's murder. And, and he keeps taking these verses and making it so that the, the standard is so high that there's just no way we can justify ourselves. There's just, I got nothing to stand on. Because every time I think, I'm like, oh, I got that part of my life down. God's like, you think you do, but there's more. I want to do more. Let me show you some more. And it's not to, to belittle us. It's to bring us to the end of ourselves. And it's, it's simultaneously really 
discouraging and really freeing. Because at one point, we're just struggling with it, going, but I, I thought I had something to offer. Like, 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 I tried really hard. God's like, that trying gets in the way. I need you to come to this point where you realize you, you, you can't do it. You need me to do it in and through you. And, and so that's discouraging on one side, but on the other hand, it's incredibly freeing. It's no longer on me. I don't, have to, I don't have to carry these burdens. I don't have to keep trying. I don't have to keep getting back up and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm going to try harder again today. I can, I can surrender. Allow Him to work in my life. It's powerful. Um, the work is complete. When, when Jesus died on the cross, He said it is finished. And He was talking about the work He was doing in your life. He was talking about your sin. It's forgiven. It was done 2,000 years ago. That work is complete. We just get to rest in it. So often we are so unwilling to rest in it because we think we need to do something. But he, he already did all the work. It is finished. I have another Homer quote for you. This will be my last one, I promise. In one episode he says, I tried my hardest and failed miserably. Lesson learned, never try. <laughs> Which is a great idea to keep for your, for your spiritual life is stop trying. Stop, stop being the one throwing it out there and say, I'm going to do it. Um, I want to give an example of Scripture that illustrates these two things. Um, the fruitlessness of my flesh and my ingrained belief in trying it, to use it to accomplish what, what I think God wants to do in my life. Um, and like I said, that there's a theme that's going to come in through this, which is, is all of these things that come down to, it's all about me. I'm a very me-focused person. I think we all are. But, but where I get in trouble in Scripture is I keep thinking it's about me. What can I do? What should I do? What, should, what am I not doing? Instead of, What's God doing? What's God done? What's, what's he want to do? So turn with me to Philippians 4. We're going to be all over the scripture this, mo- this morning. Um, but we're going to start in Philippians 4, verse 6. Um, has anybody, uh, anybody ever struggled with anxiety? Yeah. Anxiety is a thing, right? We, we all struggle with it. I was feeling really anxious a couple months ago, and so I started looking up verses that speak to anxiety. And Philippians 4, 6 is a great verse for that. And the Lord really used it to minister to my heart. Um, let me read it for you. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart, hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you guys see what I did there? Any of you catch it? And I, I started reading really fast, but that's how I've read that verse for probably 30 years. And, and, and I was skipping... Part of verse 6. Let me read it again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. I've, I've missed the phrase with thanksgiving for 30 years every time I've read that verse. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I've, I, and, and so I want to read this verse how my heart naturally wants to read this verse. So be anxious for nothing. I hear... You're anxious. God says not to be. So what's wrong? What's wrong with you? You shouldn't be anxious. What are you doing? Why are you anxious? Stop being anxious. God says, don't, don't be anxious. And everything by prayer and supplication, ah, there's it. There it is. I'm not praying enough. I'm not, I'm not supplicating, whatever that is. I need to supplicate more. That's, that's why I'm anxious. Cause see, I'm not praying and supplicating enough. And then I was skipping the Thanksgiving because I, who knows? My heart, my, my mind just was not picking up those words. And then he says, let your request be made known to God. All right, I got to do that more. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, I, I don't feel like my heart's guarded. I don't have that peace. So I'm definitely screwing this up. I, I got more to go. I got more to do. I got to dig deeper. I, I'm, I'm going to start really uh, praying and supplicating and see what the Lord does. Um, 
And I've taken a, a, a verse full of incredible promises and grace and turned it into something that's focused on me. What I'm not doing. I'm anxious. I'm not praying enough. I'm not trusting the Lord. But I don't think that's how we should read that verse. So let's read it again. And I'm going to read it this time um, with, I think, from the, new, from the Nathan's Grace-filled translation, the NGFT. <laughs> Be anxious for nothing. Have you ever heard the phrase that God's commandments are his enablements? When he's asked us to do something that we can't do, he's saying, I'm asking you to do this because I want to do it in your life. I know you can't do it. I know you're anxious. But I'm telling you, you can be anxious for nothing. If you trust me, if you allow me to do this work in your life, it's a promise. It's not a command. It's not something I'm coming up short as. He's saying, I want to help you not be anxious. I, we, I can do this in your life if you let me. So it's a promise. So we hold on to that. And he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, bring it all to me. Just leave it at my table and be thankful. And I think that thanksgiving is the key, key section of this verse. Because when we spend time in Thanksgiving, we think about all the things God has done, the way He's blessed us, the way He's pursued us, the way He never gives up on us. The, I mean, like think about every detail of your life you can praise Him for. Pursuing you as a kid and the things He allowed you to go through so you, He could build your character so that you'd come to Him and surrender to Him when you got saved and the work He's doing in your life. He, when we get, do Thanksgiving, when we are, have a thankful heart, our view of God increases. And in light of that, Whatever you're anxious about changes. Because now I'm looking at God and what he's done, and I'm less anxious because I can trust that he'll continue to take care of for me. His character is trustworthy. By everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this isn't, this, isn't, this isn't magic. This is simple. This is just us being like children, bringing our requests to God. My son doesn't, doesn't worry how I'm going to respond. He just asks me for what he needs. Hey, I need this now. You know God tells us to come to him as children, just to bring it. Throw it there and say, it's, it's, it's in your hands now. I'm trusting you with it. And then there's more promises. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's another promise. God says, I'm going to give you peace that you, that you won't be able to understand. It's waiting for you right here. And it's not about you and what you do. It's about you trusting me. That's all you got to do. Just bring it to me. Bring your requests to me. Think about how faithful I am, how good I am, and, um, and allow me to take this and watch my peace just, just roll over you. So this verse, my heart, I can turn it from a verse full of promises into a verse full of failure and commands. And it's, and it's all about, because it's all about me, my focus on me. What can I do? What have I not done? Instead of what has God done? What does he want to do? What is he promising to do? It's the power of grace. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be turning a lot tonight. So we're back in 2 Corinthians 10. We're going to read through verse 3 again and, and keep carrying on. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So Paul says that twice. He says it two different ways. We do not war according to the flesh, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's two different ways of saying the same thing. Carnal is just another word for flesh-sourced, self-sourced. Um, and I thought of Ephesians six fourteen through 18 which you're all probably familiar with. It's, it's the armor of God. But I thought we'd just read through it to talk about the weapons that aren't carnal, the things we fight with um, that are from the Lord. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We, we don't want to source them from ourselves. We, we want to find them in Jesus. We want to find them in the Lord. I'm going to grab my water here. All right, so let's read on in 2 Corinthians 10. Our next, our next point in this section. For the, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. We're pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Here's our next point. These weapons are mighty in God. The weapons, the guy holding the weapon is, is, is not mighty. It's, it's, it, the, the weapons are mighty because they're in God. It's God that is the source of the mightiness. Faith is not about you or me. It's about God. Have you ever um, wanted to have more faith? It's like, man, I wish I had more faith. I've often felt that. I look like, I read through the Bible and I read through stories of guys like Joseph and Joshua, Caleb and Daniel, Elisha, John the Baptist, even even people from history like George Mueller and Hudson Taylor. And you think, man, these guys have just this incredible amount of faith. I look at Daniel's life and I'm like, man, that guy never seemed to miss a beat. He was just rock solid. He never wavered. He was just solid. And I think, man, I wish I had faith like that. I don't. And I wish I did. And I, I feel like, you know, I want to get there. So how do I grow faith? How do I get there? What, how, do, how do I have that kind of faith? But faith is a funny thing. Um, I want to have faith. I want to grow faith. I want to have faith. But that's about me. My focus is on me. But faith is not a, faith is not a, a skill. It's not a, a something you can store up or build up. It's not a, um, a disease. It's not a muscle that gets exercised until it's really big and people start asking you where the faith gym is. You know, they want to get swole on faith. Um, it's not a resource you can grow and store and have compound interest on. You know, it's not, it's not something we have. Faith is not about me. Faith is about the one we have faith in. So it's not about us having faith or growing faith. It's about who our faith is in. Did any of you struggle to have faith in the floor you're sitting on right now when you walked in the room? None of you thought, oh man, I don't know if this floor is going to hold me today. you know. Or, or did any of you struggle to have faith that the sun would rise up this morning? Spent the whole night worrying that the sun wasn't going to come up? We don't, we don't worry about these things. We have faith in them because we know their character. The character and nature of the sun is that it rises every day. We don't, we don't worry about things. The character and nature of floors is they generally hold us up. I don't, I don't think about this. But the character and nature of God is that He doesn't fail. He's generous. He's loving. He's gracious. He's, he, pers- he pursues us. He's timeless. He's powerful. He's faithful. He's good. He's just. And, and when our eyes focus on Him, then our faith, our faith is, in, um, is in proportion to how big our God is. Not about me or how much faith I have. It's all about how big the God I have faith in is. And oftentimes I don't think God's very big, so I don't have very much faith. Um, let's turn to a, a verse, uh, Matthew 17, verse 20, to kind of illustrate this. Um, this is another verse that I read in one of Nathan's Bible translations and, um, and find that, that, that the Lord has a lot to show me about how I'm, I'm mis, misusing the Scripture in my own heart with how I listen to Him. So, Matthew 17, verse 20 says, Because of your unbelief, um, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind of 
this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So, you know, this is the famous faith like a mustard seed verse, right? And I've always read this verse and thought, man, if, if faith the size of a mustard seed can move up a mountain, how small is my faith? My faith, mustard seed is like barely, barely seeable, this tiny little thing. Then how big is my faith? Is it, is it at the subatomic level? I mean, how small is my, is my faith? You know, it must be tiny because I don't think I have that much faith. I don't, I don't, I don't have that kind of faith, but I'm, I'm, I'm reading that wrong. I think if Jesus could say it now, you guys know what the Higgs boson is? It's a particle they found in that crazy um, hadron collider in Switzerland. It's the smallest known particle we've ever observed. It's, you know, it's what makes up atoms. It's this super tiny particle. And I think if Jesus could say it now, he'd say, if you have faith, just a little bit, as much as the smallest particle we can think of, just that much, that's all it takes, then I can move mountains in your life. And, and I think the way this verse is, is, should be read, instead of you don't have a mustard seed's worth of faith, is if you have any faith in me, if you really see me for him and trust me, I can do all kinds of things in your life. And it's, it's just another example of how my mind wants to go, okay, God, I want to have faith. What do I do? And he goes, it's not about you. It's not about trying harder. It's not performanceism. It's not sourcing it. It's not, not a skill or a resource you build up. I want to be faithful in your life. All you have to do is trust me. Look at me. Trust me. Trust in my character. Believe in it. And watch me move in your life. Um, Pastor Sean often uses a phrase that he got from, from Bob Hoekstra Faith is a relation, relational reality. Faith and humility are relational realities. When we're in relationship with the Lord, we will have this reality in our life of faith and humility. They're natural responses to who God is. And so I think that, that one of the keys here is that um, if you want to grow in your faith, we've got to spend, spend time with Jesus, spend time in his word, spend time talking with him, spend time praising him, um, spend time being thankful. And watch our faith grow. I talked through this a little bit in um, Hebrews 11 about a year ago. Um, go back and listen to that sermon if you like. It was really interesting just looking at the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 and looking at these, these people that are listed as the, the greats of the faith in Bible. And so many of them, you're like, I wouldn't have picked that person. You know what I mean? Sarah's in that list. Abraham's wife. She's kind of famous for laughing when God said, you're going to have a son in 90. Like, she's kind of famous for her unbelief. But God put her in the hall of faith. So it's not about the people. It's not about the people having the faith. It's about who their faith was in. They trusted the Lord. And, and that's powerful, encouraging stuff. All right, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to go to the next, next part of this, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So the, word for, the Greek word for strongholds is uhurumu or uhuruma. Yeah, it was a weird one to pronounce. And it means a castle, a stronghold, or fortress which we rely on. I think there are many different different strongholds in our life. A couple things that come to mind are maybe the strongholds of sin or addiction, maybe fear or shame. Um, the New Living Translation translates this phrase as um, strongholds of human reasoning. And I really liked that. Like the strongholds of, of, of our understanding of things. The way we see things, so let's let's focus on that. And I think, I think for me, the way the, the way the Lord really led me on this this point was that one of the strongholds of human reasoning I have is my identity. And we build our identities on a lot of things. You know, maybe our, our identity is in Christ. I think all of us here hope that's a big part of our identity. A lot of us, it's our jobs, or maybe 
a skill we have, our families. Um, you know, all kinds of things factor into our identity. But I think there's also a piece of our identity that many of us don't want to share. The things we don't want anybody to see. When we're at our lowest moments or, or what we're afraid that everybody's going to figure out that, that, that we look like we have it together, but deep down inside, we're afraid everybody's going to realize we don't have it together. We're scared or, or there's brokenness inside of us and, and it's that part of us we don't want to show anybody because it's scary. It's, it's broken. It's, it's um, vulnerable. Um, and I think oftentimes these sort of, this part of our identity is something that gets used a lot by the, by the enemy to really discourage us. You know? Um, hey, you haven't performed very well. You think you're doing okay, but I know the real you. I know that deep down inside you're insecure, and deep down inside you're full of shame, and deep down inside you're afraid everybody's going to figure that out someday. Well, you keep trying. You keep trying. Keep them, keep them away from that. There's this part of us that we hide, um, and I think oftentimes it even comes in the form of, 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 the, of the thought that, you know what? God's probably disappointed in you too. Have you ever had that thought? Ever felt that? Ever kind of felt like that voice in your head? You know, I bet, bet Jesus is pretty disappointed with what you did this week, what you treated your wife or that thing that you've been trying not to do for a long time, you did again. And I, and I want to hit that point dead on. God has never been disappointed in you, ever. Definition of disappointment is the feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. The thing about God is God has never expected us to have some incredible integrity and righteousness that we've just been like never living up to our potential. He didn't send his his son to die because, hey, there's a lot of good in you and, and hey, I, I, really, I really want to see, redeem the rest. God came and died for you because we're, we're, that part of you that you're so ashamed of and you're afraid to ex- expose, that's who he died for. He said, that, that part of you, I died for all of it. And when he died for us, it was complete. He died for every one of our sins before we ever committed them. He died for every piece of brokenness and shame that we have and he dealt with it all. So the thing that happens tomorrow when you make a mistake and you raise your voice at a coworker and you're like, oh, I did it again. God's already paid for it. God's not surprised. God didn't, like, oh, I didn't see that coming. You know, I didn't know that Nathan was going to have a problem with patience today. He goes, I'm not disappointed. I'm not surprised. I've already dealt with it. I've, I've paid the price for that sin, and I actually have provided the resource so that you can grow. Just, just come back to me. Don't, don't allow that shame to push me away. Don't, don't take that part of you and say, well, I don't know. You know, maybe God's not happy with me. You know, in a couple days, I'll feel a little better and I can go back to him. Why? The sin's gone. It's far as from the east as from the west. He's, he's ready to work in our lives. And, and, and we're the ones, because it's all about me, right? I'm the one who feels shame. I'm the one who thinks God can't be around me. I'm the one who thinks he's disappointed in me. But he's never said that. He's already dealt with the sin, so we can't be disappointed in you. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. He says, yeah, yep, that's already dealt with. I see Jesus when I look at you. So come back to me. Um, I have a I have a verse I have a couple verses for that, um, and I think the Word of God is the place we have to run to when we have those thoughts and those feelings. Hey man, I'm such a screw up. I'm really I'm really bummed that I'm here again. Those are not thoughts that that come from the Lord, and we need to go to Scripture and find those verses that speak to that and hold on to them. So the first verse is one John three one two. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know 
that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's a verse full of promises about, about when Jesus comes back, we're going to be like, wow, look at what you did with me. You know, I, I'm going to be like you. Like Jesus is making us into Christ-like people. And he's, he's doing it right now. We don't always see it. But this verse says it's happening. And we're children of God. What, a, what an honor. That's my identity. My identity is not that I always screw up in the same way. My identity is that I'm a child of God. Forgiven, loved, perfect in God's eyes, child of God. And the things in my life I'm not happy about, he wants to take care of if I'll just humble myself and surrender them to him. Let's go to Galatians 2.20. That's a pretty pro- common verse. Many people have memorized it. It's a, very, it's a very familiar verse to most people. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek, seek things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. I love these verses because they talk about, about the work he's doing in our life as a completed work. We are hidden in Christ. Christ died for us, and we're no longer living in the flesh, we're living in him. And we have to find those verses and hold on to them. Um, we have to pull down those strongholds of shame and false identity with the Word of God. One of the reasons we need to spend time in the Word. All right, we're going to move on. How am I doing for time? What time is it? Plenty of time? 11.06, okay. Um, Jeremy just told me I can preach as long as I want, so this is great. All right. I, I am, that's true. Sean, Sean uh, sets the bar high, so... All right, back to 2 Corinthians 10. Back in verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, or as some translations translate it, false arguments. Do any of you talk to yourself? Do you talk to yourself out loud? My four-year-old keeps keeps catching me doing it. It's embarrassing. I'll be in the car driving. Are you talking to yourself again, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 pretty pretty hilarious. What do you say to yourself? What's going on up there? You know, he wants to know what I'm doing. And um, most of the time, when I'm talking to myself, I'm processing something. Usually, something I did where I screwed up, or or I'm something I'm embarrassed about, or maybe something I'm angry about. Oftentimes, I'm processing something at work I'm frustrated about, or I'm just processing, right? Um. And, and, and often it's emotions I'm processing. And I think these false arguments often surface as emotions for me. Um, I know mentally that God loves me, but I don't feel loved. I don't feel lovable. I know mentally that um, I'm forgiven, but I don't feel like God could forgive me, or I don't feel like a forgiven dude. I feel like I'm kind of coming up short. Um, I'm pretty sure God might not be happy with me right now. I know faith isn't about me, but I sure don't feel like I have faith. You know, and, and oftentimes I'm trusting in my heart. My heart doesn't feel what I know. And I give more credence to my heart. I give more credence to my emotions than truth. And I think these emotions and the thoughts that spur them are false arguments that we have to counter. Um, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't trust our hearts, which is hard because our, our culture is very much a 
Most movies end in trust your heart. Do what your heart tells you. You know, you follow your heart, you'll be happy. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a theme in our culture. You know, and even the Olympics, these guys are, they're, they're at their happiest moment because they followed their heart's dream, right? You know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's this thing that we have to be careful about. We cannot trust our emotions, no matter how true they feel. We have to process them through, um, and the thoughts that they produce or that produce them through the Word of God. Um, my emotions feel so real and they tend to be very stubborn. You know, they don't, they don't give up easy. Um, and so, so uh, what I find is I have to find promises that speak to my heart and then hold on to them and not give them up. And, you know, it's not the, it's not this whole book. It's, it's one or two verses that, that, that'll, that'll just stick out to me. And it's like, this verse is for you, Nathan. This is for, for your trouble to believe that God can love you. This verse, don't let go of it. Do not stop remembering this verse because this verse is what you need. I've given it to you so that you can counter these emotions and, and false arguments that are in your heart. And you can trust me through these things. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, let's, let's turn to Ezekiel 36, verse 25. This is a verse that Sean's quoted a couple times recently, and it's probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, because I'm a, I'm a chronic me guy. What do I, what can I do? What, what does God want from me? What's my part? It's, it's the way my brain thinks. And I love this verse, because this is a verse full of promises from God. And it never ever says anything that, that is on my plate. Nothing I'm responsible for. This is a verse full of promises from the Lord, which is incredible. Because I can, I can just trust them. I can just listen. So, Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. It's an incredible verse full of promises from the Lord to change me. And he says he's going to do it all. This is the new covenant in a verse. God says, the old covenant was, if you do this, then I will do that. That was the old covenant. The new covenant is God says, well, you can't do your part. I'm doing it all. You know, you got nothing. So here, I will do these things. I, I, I. And these are the kind of verses that I have to hold on to because my heart is, is just so quick to say, yeah, but, you know, I don't know, Lord. And, and so I come back to these verses over and over and over. I got another one for you. It's just a couple pages over. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is an incredible verse because this is really speaking to the New Testament church, right? Because in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. So you had to go to the temple to get taught. You had to go to the Scripture to get taught. But we have the Holy Spirit. And that's how God accomplishes this verse in our life. Um, verse 34, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. 
And the, we will all personally know the Lord when we allow the Holy Spirit to enter our lives. And He's the one who writes His law on our hearts and writes it on our minds. Not us, not us trying or doing, doing better, trying harder, giving more effort. It's, it's an incredible promise. And so to sum this up, if your emotions lie to you, then counter them with the promises of God. Find them, memorize them, hold on to them. Don't let them go. They're they are so, so important. All right, back to 2 Corinthians 10. We're, we're making progress. You guys will get to go home eventually. For the weapons of God... Sorry, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God also is translated proud obstacles or lofty opinions. Pride. This is really the root of a lot of this, is pride. For many of us in this room, I don't think we're walking around thinking that we're somehow God's gift to man or that you know we we can't we can do no wrong. I don't I don't think that's a generally people in church are here because they've already admitted that they need God. So so there's a certain amount of like the Lord's already dealt with some of that you know maybe external pride. This is you know look at me I'm I'm a big deal. We don't struggle with that pride as much as we struggle with um, the pride of false humility. You know I, I I'm not proud of myself. In fact, let me tell you I'm the worstest. I'm the terriblest. You you don't want to know don't know. How bad I am, let me tell you. Let me tell you, you know, all the things I do wrong. I have a list. Believe me, I keep it. It's written down in my heart where these are all the places I come up short. It's this, it's, uh, it's this shame and false humility that we use to protect the parts of us that are vulnerable, that identity, that, that we're scared to, to open up. And here's an example of it. Um, are any of you ever disappointed in yourselves when you, when you screw up? Man, I fell short again. I'm really disappointed. Remember we talked about disappointment is this ex- is is when an expectation is not met. I expected this of myself and I came up with this. And I, and I think oftentimes that disappointment we have in ourselves is pride. I thought I could do better. I thought I I thought I had it going on. You know, I felt like maybe this time I wasn't going to screw up in that same way or, or I was not going to struggle to trust the Lord or whatever it is. We're disappointed and 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 it derails us and that's pride. It's it's, it's this part of us that says I really expected more of myself. But there's so much freedom in not expecting anything of yourself. You know, only good in me is God. The rest, it's all filthy rags. And, and if I screw up, it's just a reminder that I need more Jesus, that I need to allow him to work in my life, that I need to surrender to him. My shortcomings are just a nudge. It's, it's, it's a barometer. Hey, you need to trust the Lord more. He wants to work in your life. Allow him to work. You're not allowing him to work. It's a, it's a reminder that my eyes are on me in, and not on the Lord. And I think the, um, I think the key to um, pride is prayer. When we pray, it's an opportunity for us to talk through our lives and for the Lord to speak to us. And oftentimes He uses those times to humble us. So we have to bring our requests to Him. We have to be honest about our shortcomings. We have to be thankful. And in that time, it's an opportunity for Him to take our pride and go, yeah, I love you so much. Your, your identity is in me, is in my love for you. Let go of that other stuff. You might screw up today. It doesn't matter. I still love you. And you're not going to focus on that. You're going to let me work. Let my Holy Spirit be at work in your life. It's a powerful thing. So let's go to James chapter 4. James is always a, a very humbling book to go spend time in. Chapter 4, verse 6, it says, 
But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This opportunity to just come to the Lord in humility. Remember, Sean is always talking about to see grace poured out in our life. We bring two things, humility and faith. And, and, and humility comes from just, just seeking the Lord for everything and, and humbling ourselves. Um, there's another great verse that applies in this section, and that's uh, Galatians 3, verses 2 and 3. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And it's Paul is cutting to the heart of, of our desire to grow as believers in the flesh. Use carnal tools to grow. And it's our pride. And, and you, know, you could say this whole sermon here today has been all about pride. It's all about me. What I failed at, what I should do, what I could do, I should try harder. Me, pride. It's, it's, it's all about my focus. My focus is on me instead of on the Lord. It's a powerful thing to allow the Lord to humble us. All right, let's, let's, let's wrap it up. Back in 2 Corinthians 10, we're on the, last, on the last part of this verse. So, picking up in uh, verse 5, Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of God. I, I really wrestled with this part of the verse last night when I was finishing up my sermon. I, I wrote a couple things and deleted it and, and, and wrestled with it. And I, I, I still don't have good notes for what to say here. I was praying about it as we were, we were doing worship. And, um, and one of the things I want to come to is that you know, we talked about, I talked about my, my, my translations, the NLT and the NASB, you know, joking about how my, my mind reads the Scripture with a me focus. And every time I read this, I think, um, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of, God, of Christ Jesus. And I think, man, I need to learn how to be in charge of those thoughts. I need to get a, a thought whip out and whip them into shape. I need to bring them into captivity. I've got to capture them. I don't know what that means, but we're going to figure out how to take those thoughts captive. But once again, my heart is reading that verse in a me-focused way. When I, think, I, think, I think the verse is really simple today because it's that last word that's the key into, uh, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I bring them to Christ. I bring my thoughts as they come, and I've got to bring them to Christ. I've got to bring them to him and his character and what he's done in my life, all the things we've talked about. That's how we bring our thoughts into captivity. Our, if our eyes are in Jesus, then when those thoughts come in, we go, man, does this point me to Jesus? Or does this point me to me? Does this point me to trust the Lord? Or does this point me to try harder? Does this point me to my failures? Or does this point me to, to, to God's faithfulness? And, and that's where we take our thoughts. We bring them to Jesus and we go, what do you want to do with this thought? Is this from you? Is this truth? Is this, is this driving me? To humility and faith is this driving me to try harder and shame and, and all these all this other mess that I have naturally. Um, and and the, the final verse I have for you is Second uh, Corinthians twelve nine. It's a page over in my Bible. My grace is sufficient for for you, for my great my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So I want to really quickly review what we've talked about today. 
Um, it's funny, as I was writing this, I, I had the temptation to, I, it, it's, it's so ingrained in me, I had the temptation to, to write, here's the, here's the four steps to just trusting the Lord better, right? Here's the four things to do, you know? Completely undoing everything I've talked about. But I do want to review the keys that the Lord has been revealing to my heart over the last few weeks, few months, as I've been praying about this sermon. Um, the first one was thankfulness. Prayers of thankfulness and worship. An attitude of thankfulness. Are we feeling anxious? Think about God's faithfulness. Thank Him for what He's done. Think about your life, how you ended up here. So many things in my life that even when I was a baby where the Lord was saying, I want you. I'm going to do a work in your life and I'm going to redirect this detail and this detail in your life and this detail. When we're thankful, when we think about the things God's done, it changes our hearts in, in powerful ways. Faith. Second point, which builds off of thankfulness. Faith is this next thing that comes. And our faith is entirely about how big your God is. How big is your God? Is your God just somebody you go to when you're, when you're struggling? Or when, when you're having a bad day? Or is He like everything? Is He the creator of the universe? Is He going to outlast our lives and, and we're going to spend eternity with Him and He's much bigger than anything? And more powerful? And like, How big is your God? Because that's going to define a lot of, of your faith. Um, we need to remember who God is and allow that to, to grow our faith just based on His character. The third thing was the Word of God. Allow it to demolish your legalisms and self-reliance. It's the source of truth. It's the source of promises we rely on. It's the source of our identity. And it's the primary way we, way we hear from the Lord. You know, people say, I, mean, I just don't feel like God talks to me. Are you in the Word? He will, he'll speak to your heart, absolutely. He'll speak to you during prayer. But oftentimes the way God talks to me is he's like, hey, you're in this random verse in Deuteronomy about the law, but there's this tiny little phrase here that I want to apply to your life right now. And if we're not in the word, he can't use those words to apply to our hearts. He wants to, wants to speak to us through his word. But I have, I, have a, I have a warning on that one. Don't allow this to be a work. Oh man, I got I to gotta work hard. I got to read the Bible more, you know, because that's how God's going to grow me. So I'm going to go be the guy who reads the Bible a lot. We have to watch our hearts with the Bible and, and enjoy it. Consume it. Allow it to be a part of your life. But this is not a, about how many chapters you can read a day or, oh, you know, I failed to read the Bible today. God's probably disappointed in me today. You know, like, like these, are, these are thoughts we have to be careful with with the Word. Allow it to just be Him speaking to us. Don't, don't, don't let it be legalism. I'm not a big fan personally of, of crazy reading plans or, or, or devotionals or study guides for my quiet time. I really like just reading a couple of verses, reading a couple of chapters, and seeing what the Lord does. Really, like, like, I think of it like my relationship with my wife. I don't come home and say, all right, let's go through our evening uh, couple's talk time. How was your day? And I have a list of four things I ask her. And then, you know, we, we talk about the, uh, the, the four things that happened today, and then we say goodnight, and we're done. And that's not how I spend time with my wife. It's not, it's not highly structured. Same thing with the Lord. We're spending time with him is, is organic, it's natural, it's, it's a conversation. So, so approach the word like that. Don't try to squeeze stuff out of the word. Oh, if I, I didn't get some revelation from the Lord today, I must have been reading wrong. It's not always a revelation. It's not about your feelings. It's about just spending time with him. It leads to my fourth point, which is the promises of God. Find those promises, those verses that speak to your heart, that resonate with you, that really... Um, that the Lord is like, this is for you. I wrote this for you. I wrote this for that thing you struggle. Take it. Absorb it. Allow it to speak to your heart. Don't let go of those verses. Memorize them. Write them down. Put them on note cards. Whatever you have to do. 
But if it's that verse the Lord's given you, don't let it go. Hold on to it. And the final one is prayer. It's humbling. It builds our faith. It's our chance to talk to God and hear from him. Um, it also is something we have to be careful with legalism on. Oh, I didn't pray enough today. Oh, I should pray harder. I should pray more often. I should pray longer. I should pray for more people. Oh, you know, I told that person I, wouldn't pr- I would pray for them and I failed to. God's, you know, I'm really disappointed in myself. That's one that the Lord's really dealt with me lately. Whenever I think of somebody that I promised to pray for and they didn't pray for him, and I think, ah, oh, I was going to pray for him. It's not a time for guilt. It's a time to pray for him. It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you forgot to pray for those guys. Pray for him now. I can take that, that, that nudge of the Holy Spirit. I can either apply it as shame or I can apply it as the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I, I want to do work through you. Let's pray for those people right now. And, and it's powerful when we, we allow prayer to be um, this, this, this enjoyable part of our relationship with God, not something we should do or should do more, but instead it's this opportunity to spend time with the one who loves us more than we can imagine. Um, all these things are just ways that we grow in our relationship and understanding of God. Um, as we do, we'll begin to understand the depths of his love and his grace, and that'll bring incredible fruit in our lives. We'll leave you with finally with um, one, one final verse. John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness just to... Uh, to get our attention and humble us and, and show us your love and your grace for us, Lord. Um, we pray that um, we'd apply these truths to you, to our hearts, Lord. And Lord, that you would apply what you want to speak to each person in this room, Lord. It's not my wisdom or my understanding. Um, I, we just desire that your truth would go forth, that your grace would be poured out in our hearts, Lord. So just bless us this week, Lord. We pray for those who aren't feeling well. We pray you just help them to uh, recover this week. And we pray for Pastor Sean, that you would bless him on his trip with his family. It would be a time of, of refreshment and, um, and that you would just bring him back safely to us next week. In your name we pray, amen. If, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, then this stuff is all kind of noise to you. Like if it's, it's, it, This all is predicated on us coming to that place where we go, I don't have what I'm looking for inside of me, and I need it from Jesus. And that's not a hard, not a hard thing to do. All that takes is us coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't have the answers. I'm broken. I come up short. You died to pay for my sins. Please forgive my sins and wash me and cleanse me and take control of my life because I'm making a mess of it. And if, if that's a prayer you, you want to pray, you can pray while we're worshiping or we'll be up here after service and we can chat with you. But now's the time to make that decision. And to surrender your life to the Lord. Because there's so much joy and freedom in that. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. He's going he's gonna to do a lot of this stuff where he shows you the pride and the self-centeredness of your heart. But it, it's so good. It's so fruitful. So, love you guys. Thanks.